of the Word. And so we're going to read the Word this morning, all the chapter of Acts chapter 24. Now, after five days, Ananias, thy priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear, by your courtesy, a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the, Fer- of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to profane the temple. And we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander... Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain as all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also attended, maintaining that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation. I do the more cheerfully and answer for myself because you may ascertain that it is more than 12 days that I went to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself also strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia came, found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is of this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he had adjourned the proceedings, it said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul 
and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess or Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that it might release him. Therefore, he sent sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Father, we come to you thanking you for this marvelous word that we have before us this morning, the freedom in which we have to collectively read it and to preach it and to believe it. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we have not had to stand before a court of law to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. But Lord, we realize with the way the world is going today, that just might happen. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the fact that we know you as our personal Savior, that we can, with Paul, have the assurance that, uh, that you're on the throne and that you are the judge of judges, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, Lord, as we would realize there is a price to pay for living for you, but we thank you, Lord, for the price that you paid that we can live for you or in you. So we thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can come before you today, come boldly before the throne of grace, to obtain grace to help in the time of our need. But, oh, Father, we live in a lost and dying, hurt and angry world. Lord, make us a witness to those people who need you so badly. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Of course, Paul now has been incarcerated by, and actually he's been protected by the Roman army. We found Lysias, who was mentioned here. Uh, Claudius Lysias was the commander of the garrison that was in Jerusalem who had taken Paul into custody to keep him back from the mob and even the lies that was told here by Tertullus. The Jews didn't arrest him or the the synagogue in Sanhedrin didn't have him arrested. Uh, Paul was pulled, if you remember, he was pulled twice from an angry mob. And so there was nothing that the Pharisees or the Sadducees did as far as arresting Paul. But so we see now that he's standing here before a man that uh, is in a succession in the line of Pontius Pilate. He's the same type of of, man, or of uh, office that Pontius Pilate had, who, of course, uh, now almost 50 years before, had uh, condemned and had, uh, had uh, crucified the Lord Jesus. So here he is as a governor. And he's hearing this case. And you have now the Jews coming, uh, the Sanhedrin, the high priest. Remember Ananias, that uh, very wicked uh, appointed man. He actually was a political appointment. He wasn't a high priest in the order of the Old Testament and order of Aaron. But he was actually appointed by Rome. And he was just a political figure who actually was uh, a useful idiot for the, uh, the Jews. They used him, but they hated him. And uh, yet he was able to gather together a lot of his political cronies. And they come down and they are ready to 
have Paul crucified like the Lord Jesus was, if they could, if they could get it. And so they're down, and they hire a Tertullus, who is a, a Latin name, so evidently he was not a Jew, but he was, must have been a very good lawyer. And so he presents this case before, uh, the, before um, Felix. Now Felix is sitting on there with all of his regalia, and he's the same type of court that Pontius Pilate would have had uh, with these Jews. And we see that uh, now he is, his introduction is quite interesting because everything he says is a lie. Tertullus, it says, uh, he, says, uh, he says, seeing that uh, we enjoy great peace. That was, he started out with a lie. Uh, Jerusalem and that area was Rome, one of Rome's biggest thorns in the side. They kept having problems. That's the reason they kept having to replace people like Pilate. And, and, and there's been two or three people between Felix and, and Pilate by this time. And, and then we're going to see Festus re, re, um, replaces Felix. And they just couldn't keep a governor in there that could keep, a, keep the peace. And most of these guys were very severe in their judgment. So they were hated. Those peace and prosperity brought to this nation. We accept it always. They kept rejecting it always. And so this was just a total lie that he's giving. Always in all places, most noble Felix. Oh, yeah, we'd like to kill you ourselves. And so he says, and we're so thankful. So after all that hot air, then he says, but we do have something that we are appealing to you about. I mean, this is good lawyerese stuff, isn't it? Sounds like a typical lawyer today. I hear some of these guys on tele- and all these uh, legal experts that they have on some of these stations today. And you turn to one and boy, they're, they're just adamant about one thing. You turn to another and it's just the opposite. And you wonder, what is the truth in between it all? And uh, they are praising one person and they're cutting down another and all the rest. And so just a bunch of legal liars. Now, not all lawyers are like that. And if lawyers listening to this on the Internet today, I'm not accusing. In fact, I hope I never have to hire you. I hope I ne- I've never had to have one except for a will. I hope I never have to have one legally. It costs a lot of money. But at the same time, it's good to have, know that there's some people out there that are good lawyers. And so we're not cutting down the profession, but it does give itself like preaching to a lot of uh, turkeys in the, in the pot. So, you know, we see that, uh, uh, that, the, um, that the lawyer now is, is giving his advice. Nevertheless, uh, we don't want to be tedious, but now he gives just a whole new string of lies. He talks about uh, this man is a plague. He's a real troublemaker. Now, Paul didn't cause any problems, and later on Paul's going to say, hey, listen, I didn't cause the problems, and uh, uh, I just went and uh, they attacked me after I was purifying myself in the temple. I mean, I had gone through the Nazarite vow exactly like the Old Testament told me to do. So I wasn't the troublemaker. I didn't go into the temple and preach like Peter did or anybody else. I just went in to worship. I just was worshiping God as a Jew, a good Jew would do. And as a and notice he's also a ringleader of the Nazarenes. That was a cut-down word. Of course, anybody from Nazareth, remember even Nathaniel said, is there any good thing that comes from Nazareth? And it was a wicked city. And it was one of those podunk cities that, you know, if you come from, then you were just automatically marked with being a bad character. And so Jesus was a Nazarene, which was actually a cut-down. And so but notice he didn't say, uh, and Paul's going to straighten him out even on that. 
And so he's, he's a Nazarene, and he's a ringleader of these bunch of, of rednecks that are wanting to destroy our way of life. And not only that, but he desecrated the temple. And Paul went there and he did exactly, in fact, he paid a lot of money to go through all the ceremonial rites to be right in the temple. And so all these things were total lies that this lawyer pours out before Felix. And so as he goes on, he says, and then, so then he says, uh, you know, Lord, uh, let, if you will just go ahead and examine him. Now, when you see the word examine in a court, Roman court of law, that means you beat him with a scourge until he fesses up. And so that's a good way to get a, a good, I mean, talk about a plea deal. That's a good plea, plea deal, isn't it? I mean, we're going to beat you with a scourge like, we, like the, they nearly beat the Lord Jesus to death uh, with, with that uh, horrible whip that had all the bones in it and everything else and we're going to rip you apart until you tell us the truth well what's the truth just tell me you know it's one after about five hits you know anybody's willing to confess anything except of course the uh, the lord jesus and paul and many other christians and so just go ahead and beat him half to death and then you'll find the truth i mean isn't that that's a great uh that's a great legal isn't a great legal procedure? Aren't you glad that that's not Rome or that's not our laws today? Although the plea deals today, if we, you don't accept and plead guilty, we will financially ruin you or whatever else. And that's what we're seeing today, unfortunately, in the abuse of our system. Time and time again, we're seeing people destroyed by plea deals. Either you flip and you tell us what we want to hear, or we will destroy you. And how many, how many people over the past? five years have been totally destroyed financially by these government lawyers coming in and saying, if you don't tell us what we want to hear, we'll destroy you. And so that's basically what we have here is the scourge of financial hardship. And so that's nothing new under the sun, except the the Romans were a little bit more physical about it. And so we see that uh, good old Tertullus offers his uh, great side of it. Then, then we see Paul gets up and he straightens it out. And we see, first of all, he says, I'm not a troublemaker. In fact, when I went to the temple, I went there to worship. And uh, I didn't cause any riots. I didn't preach. I didn't raise my voice. But a bunch of people from Asia who knew me, they came back and they caused the riot. And they should be the ones here today. But they're not here. You just have the Sanhedrin. So where are my accusers? Where are those people that actually caused this riot? And by the way, they didn't arrest me. The Sanhedrin was nowhere around. The Roman soldiers came in and took me and rescued me. And it was later on that, uh, that Lysias was able to get these people together outside of the temple, not in the temple. And you remember how that, uh, that even Paul talked to them about the resurrection of the dead. And that's the one point where Paul comes in. He says, the only thing I did say, and I'll, I'll plead guilty to this, I did tell them when we had that meeting with these people that I raised the issue of the resurrection of the dead. And of course, you had the Pharisees on one side who believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees. You see, the the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that's the reason they're sad, you see. That's the way you remember that. They didn't believe in uh, the resurrection of the dead. And uh, as 
a result, there was that huge fight. And then again, Lysias had to come in and pull them out from among the Sanhedrin, who were fighting among themselves about that one issue. The Sadducees were the liberals and the Pharisees were more the conservative people. And it must have been a real needle in their side because here you have them together and they're in this court of law with uh, Felix. And, Fe- and now Paul raises the issue again. It says, the only thing I said was the resurrection of the dead, which I believe with all my heart. And boy, you can imagine, we can't fight here, but what did he, you could imagine those guys. They just had a riot. You know, and now they can't have a riot because they're in this court of law. They say, brought this issue up again. And so what? I mean, Paul was a Paul was a lawyer. And if you don't believe it, the book of Romans is a law book. I mean, I mean, it's a book explaining justification by faith, which is a legal term. And so the book of Romans is very lawyerese. But uh, so Paul knew how to present himself. And notice he even said he defended himself. And so we see that. Uh, he says, yeah, I believe everything the Old Testament has to say. I believe the law and the prophets. I believe in the, and I have the same hope of the resurrection of all these people have. And not all of them believed it, but he, you know, he said, he really needled them here. And the only thing I cried out was that, that issue. And so where are my accusers? And what am I, what am I guilty of? Right there, any honest judge would have said this case should be dismissed. But as judges can, they can drag it on because they don't want to be the ones who make the decision. But notice in verse 22, when, when Felix heard these things, then he had a more accurate knowledge of the way. There again, remember Paul, he didn't give all this uh, uh, flattery to, uh, to Felix because he knew he had done his homework. He knew Felix knew about the way, and he knew that Felix had a wife who was a Jew who knew about, at least that she was raised probably during the martyrdom of Stephen. And she had probably experienced as a young child, and of course he had been around or heard about uh, the Pentecost and these new Christians that were coming in. They called it back then the way before Antioch, and it was still being used interchangeably, the way. Of course, I am the way, the truth, the life. So early Christians followed the way, the Lord Jesus. And so, uh, and they were first called Christians later on at Antioch. And so this term was still being used. And Paul said, he didn't say he defended himself from being a follower of the Nazarene, but a follower of the way. It's interesting how he turned that around. And of course, he knew that Felix had heard about the way, because later on we find that Felix, uh, the Bible says, that he had a knowledge of the way. And so he knew that Paul had been, that Felix had been exposed to the gospel. And so I like the way he put it, you know, I, I come here and I know that you've been around for quite a while and you know these people. I'm not going to flatter you with all these words about how that we all love you and everything because we, you, and it was like, I know what you know about them too. And I know that you know that this old Tertullus is full of hot air. And so it's kind of interesting how this whole situation is going along. And, you know, everybody loves uh, trials. You know, how many of you people, uh, I was raised on Perry Mason. Most of you people, I mean, I go to, to people's homes and they're watching Matlock or Law and Order or any of the rest of these. There's just something about law, you know, the courtroom that people want to study. Well, this was one of the great court, uh, court scenes in all of history because, I mean, uh, I mean, you have a mastermind in Paul 
who just just brings it down. And of course, Tertullus was probably one of the best hot air uh, lawyers of his day. And so we see that then you have old Felix. And Felix knew a lot about it himself. And we see now that uh, his political non-decision, just like Pilate, he didn't want to make a decision. He wanted to wash his hands of the whole mess. But yet he was the governor. And as a governor, he always wanted to keep the peace because it really helped him back in Rome. And if there was always wars and stuff like that going on, then uh, he would be replaced. And actually he was replaced just within two years of this situation. And so now, first of all, we need to look at Felix and also of his wife, Drusilla. Felix means happy. He took that name. That wasn't his birth name. He was born into a slave family. But his family were on the court of Caesar. And they and a future uh, offspring of Augustus Caesar, uh, by the name of Claudius, who would later on become a, a, a Caesar, uh, an emperor, uh, was his childhood friend. And so as Cla- Claudius grew older and gained in the ranks, he set his good friend, slave boy, Felix, and his brother free. And not only that, but he kind of elevated him because he liked him and so forth, and he appointed him as a governor. Now, that didn't always sit well with the nobility of Rome. Many of the nobility that were born in nobility did not like rednecks or or slaves becoming powerful people. So he always had his battles. But right now, he is uh, sitting with all the pomp and circumstance in, um, in Palestine. And while he was there in Palestine, he ran across a young teenage girl. And she was already married politically to another king of a small province uh, outside of Judea. But he was smitten by her. And he found a way with a sorcerer in Crete. And he mesmerized this girl and actually stole her away from that king. And she became his wife. And by this time, Drusilla is about 20 years old. And so here you have this couple that is now one of the couples that would be on the magazines or the, the, uh, the entertainment systems of, of America today. These are the, the glamorous elites. These are the people that uh, they live very immoral lifestyle, but everybody likes to watch them and follow them around as royalty. Uh, I was just uh, hearing or I was reading about a person uh, that is now older, a little bit older than me, but she was the one of the main drama queens or, or entertainment queens back in my day. And uh, she was talking about, and they were asking about all the men she knew in, in Hollywood and entertainment system. And she went through about 10 men that she's either lived with or whatever, had relationships with. And it was like, oh, these are, oh, thank you for all the knowledge you're giving us about these, the personal traits of these men. And you're going, there's not a bit of shame in all that. There's not a bit of, you know, these people are celebs. She's, she's still one of the most popular people, even in her 70s, as uh, one of the great whatever of America, entertainers of America. And, of course, you have politicians and other people, the playboys and all these things that, that, uh, that these people are glamorized today. Well, this was a type of couple like this. Good old Drusilla. She was actually the daughter of Agrippa II. 
Now, Agrippa II was the one who killed James. And uh, I hope I can keep all this straight. It's like a, 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 a soap opera. But Agrippa II, of course, killed James and imprisoned, uh, imprisoned uh, Peter. His, uh, her uncle, who was Antipas, was the one who killed John the Baptist. Now, she is the sister of both the, we're going to meet Festus, uh, or we're going to meet Agrippa, uh, another Agrippa, actually this is Agrippa III, or Agrippa II, anyway. That's her brother. And he married, after all the finagling around, he married his sister. Now this is getting pretty wretched, isn't it? But here you have, uh, whenever we see Bernice and Agrippa coming along later on in all their regalia, the second trial, these people were all kin to one another. And so here you have this 20-year-old girl who is noted for her beauty. She was known throughout her, uh, for her beauty throughout the empire. And she was royalty. She came from a king. And so here you have these people that he's standing before with all their sin. But there's something about the message that Paul preached and the Holy Spirit working in Felix's life that he wanted to hear it again. And so he noticed that he dismissed the group and he said, I'll, I'll wait, I'll defer, I'll procrastinate and because uh, I'll let uh, uh, good old uh, uh, Claudius Lysias come up and tell me about it. That was a way to get rid of the Sanhedrin. But notice in verse 24, it says, after these days when Felix with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, uh, sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. She had heard it before, and so had he. And they wanted to hear more. And yet, think of their lifestyle. He says, now he reasoned with them about righteousness. And so he's dealing with the man who is full of unrighteousness and full of perversion and sin. And he deals with them, and I'm sure he gave his testimony, and he told them, I thought I was righteous, and I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but I met the Lord Jesus, and I realized how unrighteous I am. And in the book of Romans, there is none righteous, not even me or you. There's no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in spite of all your glory, we are short of his glory because we're all sinners. And so he's preaching the righteousness of God to these very corrupt and immoral people. And here you are, and I've, and you have, and I have, I've talked to people, and they're very glamorous or whatever, but they know I'm a Christian, and there's something that needles them about me because of their lifestyle, and I don't even have to say a word. I can just talk about, you know, how I love the Lord or what God's doing at the church or whatever. And it just bothers them because they're in sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts the world of sin. He comforts us, but he convicts the world of sin. So here Paul is preaching to them about righteousness. And he didn't even have to name their sin. And John the Baptist got in trouble because he named the sin and, you know, he got his head cut off. But he didn't name it. He just talked about righteousness. And so he talked about righteousness, and then he talked about self-control. Now, that's an area. I mean, these people were totally, they just lived by the lust of the flesh. Whatever the lust wanted, you know, I wanted this girl, so I went after her. I got her. What you going to do about it? 
And so here he's living by totally, you know, if I want to get out and have a drunken feast like, uh, like my uncle did and where they got all drunk and then I had my daughter dance and have a man's head cut off, I, I could do any of that. They, they just lived by their passions. And so Paul was kind of on, I mean, even though he's talking to these people, he could have his head cut off at any moment or be crucified at any moment. But he is now just preaching to these people who knew and he knew they were under conviction. But you can imagine how they would have felt. Can you imagine if any of us could go out and really talk like I'm talking now in Hollywood? I remember Jimmy Carter back in 1976 or 77 when he became, of course, the the great Baptist president. And uh, he went to one of the great, uh, I think it was the State Department. But he was, uh, now this is back, you know, 50 years ago. But he went there and as a Christian and I have some questions about good old Jimmy. He's 99 years old right now, but he was up and down spiritually. Anyway, let's not get into that. But other than the fact that he went there and he said, now, uh, as a Christian, I think that we, uh, all of you people need to get start getting married and not living together. He said that in the first part of his, minute, of his, of his presidency. I never will forget that. And everybody started laughing like crazy. And then he just said, uh, I was just kidding. I'll never forget that as a young man hearing Jimmy Carter, you know, as a, as a Christian president. And he, and I know, you could, it, said, it was on the news, so I'm sure it's back there somewhere if you want, if you guys who know how to get on the internet. And you could find that speech. But he was just, I was just kidding. Paul wasn't kidding. And Paul was not going to back down. And so he's just talking about, hey, self-control. That's what God gives to Christians who love him. That's what happens whenever you get saved and he pulls you out of a life of sin and sets you free to live for him. I mean, you don't realize it, that you are burdened with all these sins that you call pleasure. Now, I'm not sure how he said it. I'm sure he's very diplomatic. But at the same time, he preached righteousness and he preached self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. But then he got down to business. And then he preached to them about how that, um, he said that, uh, he said self-control and judgment to come. Now he'd already mentioned about the resurrection of the just and the unjust that he preached. In other words, every one of us one day are going to stand before God. Now we know there's two different thrones and that Christians will stand before God at a different time, a different throne before others. But there's one day that every knee shall confess, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do we know that? Every person is going to do it. Everybody's going to die and everybody is going to face the judgment of God. Now, it really depends on where you are at that throne. But the worst thing you ever want to hear is depart from me, for I never knew you because you were never justified. There's that legal term that Paul is going to take chapters to explain in Romans. He was a lawyer, and he goes through it very carefully for us in the book of Romans. But the just and the unjust, he says, either you know him or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to be standing for and for, because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And my friend today, that is the same, no matter who's hearing me today, you, God, you have an appointment with God. And one day you will answer to him 
as to why you accepted him or why you, why you rejected him. Whether he's going to say, come in, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me, for I never knew you. That's the choices. And this is the choice that Paul lays out before Felix and Drusilla. You can imagine them listening. And with all their beauty, and here he is in prison clothes, and what a contrast that must have been. And so, oh, good old Felix does what he normally does. He was the procrastinator. He says, go away now, and when I find a convenient time, I will call you, verse 25. And then he did call him back, but then, but notice also, that those old lusts that down deep in his heart that he couldn't get rid of, he hoped that Paul would give him a bribe to get it. Sounds like a good government official these days, doesn't he? Yeah, if I if he could just, I know this guy, you know, he's got a following. He's surely got a, a political action group or somebody that can pay me some good money, and I'll let him free. And he won't even have to go back to Jerusalem. We'll get rid of him, you know, send him wherever he wants to go. Just give me some money. Boy, doesn't that sound good. But, of course, he didn't. And so what does he do? Good old political situation. He leaves them in jail. He could have let him go after the trial. But he left him there two years and let the next guy take up the Boy, isn't that good politics these days? Now, from what we know about Felix, you know, we know within two years he's replaced by a man named Festus. And Felix, being from that slave trade, there were a lot of those nobles that just didn't like uh, freedmen or ex-slaves becoming high government officials. So somewhere he was lost in the mix. Probably somebody either assassinated, or but he's lost to the pages of history. But his wife, Drusilla, being royalty, she is spotted in history uh, in the courts of Octavian, who was the man who conquered uh, Jerusalem and then later on become uh, became a Caesar himself. But uh, she was only about 20, about uh, before, right around when she was 40. She'd had a child by Felix and so forth. She moved to a city named Pompeii. And she lived in Pompeii in, in, in AD 79. Pompeii, of course, was destroyed by the volcanic volcano or volcano, volcanic eruption of Vesuvius and of course they made movies about all that but she died literally in the ash heaps of history in that wicked terribly immoral city of Pompeii she followed her lust right to the death isn't it interesting how people are overtaken sometimes literally by their own place and God judges them by their very lifestyles and we see that even though she was beautiful, and although she won favor by all the people, she died in the same ash heap that her husband did. Oh, well, folks, those people are just blips in history. They didn't stay on earth very long, but they're serving in eternity in almighty hell, or all, eternal hell. And one day they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to, the Lord's going to say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. And the man that would seem to be defenseless and hopeless standing before them is going to be watching 
as God says to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. But Paul was looking forward to the day that when the Lord, he was looking, he'd fought a good fight. He, won, and he was looking forward to God saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Folks, it matters. It matters for eternity what you have done with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can procrastinate all you want to. You can put it off. And, uh, you, and, but the, the more you put it off, the harder your heart gets. In fact, H.R. Uh, 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 Ironside, who actually became the, the, uh, a pastor at Moody, the famous Moody Church, um, told about hearing D.L. Moody preach back in the 1800s. And he said that uh, the place was packed, and it was out in Los Angeles where he heard him because that's where he grew up. But uh, he was in uh, one of these buildings that would hold 10,000 people, but you can imagine being in a place in Los Angeles, 10,000 people with no air conditioning back then. But he climbed up on one of the rafters, and he was watching. And D.L. Moody said, I want everybody who's saved here to stand. And about 80% of the people, about 8,000 people stood up. And then he said... I want everybody who was saved before the age of 20 to stand up or to sit down. And over half the crowd sat down. They were saved in childhood. Then, then he went by tens. And by the time he got to 60 years old, there was, there was less than 20 people standing. Folks, the longer you put off being saved, the less chances that you'll be saved because of your own will. Drusilla had heard the preaching all her life, and she lost her soul to hell. Felix had heard the way. He was very interested in it, but he's in hell today because he procrastinated time after time and can you imagine listening? Folks, if the Apostle Paul can't win you to the Lord, I wonder if I ever could. <laughs> and so we see that it matters deeply. That today is the day. Behold, now is the accepted time of salvation. You might not have another chance. It won't be because God won't give you a chance, but because your own heart has so blinded you that you won't take the chance to accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And you'll just be another blip in history who will spend an eternal life in a place called hell because of what you've done or what you have not done with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Is he your Lord and Savior? If not, why not? Today may be your last day to ever know and have the chance of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord because... He'll save you from your sin. He'll declare you righteous and he will allow you to have that eternal place in heaven with him and with the saints of God. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you know him? I hope you do. If not, this may be your last chance for a a heavenly eternity. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with this very serious and most most important decision anybody who's ever lived has ever made is what to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord and Savior? 
Oh, Lord, we pray for those who you're calling now. Those whom you are extending the welcome mat and saying, whosoever is a thirst, let him come and let him drink of the water of life freely. May they come to you today. May they be saved from eternal hell and have a life in heaven. Oh, Lord, we pray for our people. Lord, that you would give us the Holy Spirit boldness to stand and to preach as Paul did with a, with a clear conscience the unsearchable riches of an almighty God to a lost and dying world. Oh, Father, we realize the message is the same today. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. All one-syllable words that a first grader could understand. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll save children in this neighborhood. We pray that you'll save teenagers. We pray, Lord, that you'll save people our age and, and younger. Oh, Father, how we pray that you would, that the, the light of the world would burn brightly through the message of this church. Save souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.